because we desire to see humility in our leaders. And so that is to the political advantage for us to see that demonstrated. Well, this was not always the case because there was a time when ancient society, when they looked to their leaders to be like gods, leaders and kings were never supposed to mingle with the people. They were never supposed to connect with the people. And now things have completely changed. Everything has changed. Some of you who have been in the corporate world, uh, you probably read some some books that were popularized in the last decades. In the 1970s, Robert Greenleaf came out with a servant leader. After that, Jim Collins had a, had a book called Good to Great. And that book talked about what he called a level five leader, meaning this, that a humble leader is a more successful leader. One of my favorite leadership books, True North, Bill George studied hundreds of different leaders and looked at characteristics that were common to them and concluded that humility was the sign of a great leader. And so it is, we're comfortable with this concept. We understand this concept today because of this, this desire for humility and this search for humility. There is a secular university in Australia that did research of when did humility come? When was there sh this shift from this type of leadership God model where we want a king, we want someone above us, to now we're looking for someone who relates to us. We're looking for someone who serves. And so this university in Australia was not a religious university, did not have a religion department or a school of theology. So this wasn't like Liberty Baptist or, or Tureka Nazarene or anything like that. It was a completely secular study. And they came to this conclusion that history shifted and leadership shifted because of a man named Jesus Christ. John Dixon has this great book called Humilitus. And this is a book that kind of reviews this research and it would be a, a, a helpful book for you to read. And this word humilitus is where we get the word humility. But the word means this, humiliation. And when the word was first used, it was always negative. It was always derogatory. The idea that someone would humiliate themselves, and that was never a positive until Jesus came. And Jesus shifted the way we look at humility. And we've been impacted ever since. So this morning we're going to look at three categories of Jesus' life and how it's impacted us. First category is this, humble teaching. Humble teaching. If you've been on an airplane in recent years, you realize that the airlines have a huge motivation to divide us into classes. Most of us are what's known as coach. We pay the cheapest fare for the most convenient uh, uh, travel time to get to where we need to go. But then there are the elite, the special people known as first class. And they pay extra because they pay extra. They get on the plane first and they go through a special little gate. They even have red carpet to enter the plane. They have big leather cushy seats. I'm only saying this from observation. Okay, I don't get to fly first class. They get to eat really good food and really expensive drinks for free. They eat on China. 
The rest of us, we're hurtled in like, like cattle. I mean, herded in, excuse me. We're, we're, we're put at the back and we're scrunching these small seats and we, we eat on plastic. And our food tastes like plastic. And there's great, great reasons why the airlines try to keep this division between the elite and everybody else. Well, in the Roman Empire, that's exactly what society was like. There were the few, the elite, the special ones. Perhaps it's the educated or those who inherited a certain name or or those who had lots of money. And everybody else was stuck in the back of the plane. They were stuck in coach. And what would happen is at special dinner parties, parties would be given and the elite, the special, would be treated differently than everybody else. In fact, it was common that if someone was giving a dinner party, they would even invite someone who was inferior to them just to make themselves look better. And they would sit that person in a bad location at the table. And they would give that inferior person a a lesser cut of meat. And this was not just tolerated. This was celebrated. I mean, it was supposed to be something we did. It was a way uh, that humans would make themselves look better. To have those underneath them and treat them as less than what they were. But Jesus came and his teaching changed all of this. I want us to start in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 20. I love how Jesus puts this contrast in verse 26. It must not be like that among you. Jesus was describing that whole old system that I paraphrased. And he said this, it must not be like that among you. Jesus is here calling for a good kind of separation. For us to act different than the world system. For us to act different than the way things have always been. He was turning A social custom upside down. He he was taking a mindset and completely changing it. And he says this, on the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This was a completely different teaching. This was something that, that was not celebrated, was not taught, was not given. The religious leaders of that day, they were trying to separate themselves. They had special clothes and special rules, special places to sit. They were completely separate. In fact, the religious leaders, when Jesus was here, didn't want to mingle with the, quote, unclean people. And Jesus came and said, I have a different teaching. In those days, uh, a teaching was referred to as a yoke. uh, The yoke of a certain teacher. Not unlike today. Sometimes, for those of you who follow Christianity closely, closely, you'll know a certain type of pastor. They'll talk about God's sovereignty a lot. Another type of pastor will talk about God's faith. Another type of pastor may Highlight fear and fear of going to hell. And you kind of see these characteristics of these pastors. That's not a great quality to, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying uh, there, there's certain yokes pastors today have. And in the day that Jesus was teaching, there would be these certain types of yokes particular teachers would have. And they were really hard on the people. I mean, some of these yokes on the people were unbearable. They were rules about the rules. 
There were rules about the rules that were impossible to keep. And, and people were really tired of religion. And people were worn out. Because, you know, when you have a standard you can't keep, it's very tiring. When, when, you, when you keep trying to accomplish a goal and you can't quite get there, it just wears you out. And this new rabbi came, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said these words in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, he said this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Going on, he says this, All of you, take up my yoke. Take up my teaching. Take up my way of teaching. Take up my way of interpreting God's ways. Take up my system. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. Now you look at that phrase about humble in heart and we immediately think, well, yeah, that was a good thing for Jesus to say. When Jesus spoke it, it was not a positive. He was in essence saying, learn from me because I am gentle and I'm humiliated in my heart. How different that is than the teachers of his days who were trying to separate themselves and trying to prove to everyone how godly they were. See, Jesus, Jesus came and he was God, and, and yet he came to serve. He says, learn from me because I'm gentle. I'm not going to be harsh. I'm not going to take my teaching and, and make you tired because I have a standard you can't keep. Can I tell you that when you're under a system of religion and legalism where there's never hope, there's never freedom, there's never breakthrough, you'll get tired and tired of that system. That's why so many people are turned against the church and they're turned against the ways of God. Can I tell you, it's not God's fault. It's man's fault. Because the spirit of Jesus, when Jesus teaches you, it's easy and it's light and you'll find rest. I don't know about you, but that word rest just looks so good to me. Because we live in a, in a time where we're so busy and life is so complex and, and we've complicated everything. And consistently, I hear from people I talk to, I'm just tired, I'm just worn out. Can I just tell you, Jesus is here for rest. There's a satisfaction in Jesus that's unlike any other satisfaction you'll ever have. There's a rest in Jesus that is good for the soul. The greatest vacation that you can dream up can't compare to one encounter with Jesus. The, the easiest job, you find this would be the perfect job for me. If I just found that job, I wouldn't be dissatisfied anymore. That doesn't compare to one touch of Jesus. He has rest for us. Rest for our soul because he's gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves. Moving on, he says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light means you're going to be able to get somewhere in life with me. You're going to be able to move. You're not going to get stuck. Your, your feet won't get stuck because you're so tired and weary and burdened. Because Jesus says, I have teaching that's a life. There's life in my, in my teaching. There's life in my way. And that's what a good teacher does. And so it was that, that Jesus didn't say, follow me because I'm so humble. And I'm bragging about my humility. He's saying, follow me. Because I'm changing the way religion is taught. And his followers have done that since then. That's why we, we, are, we, we are so drawn towards humility in somebody. Just a few decades later, Paul, who was a very educated man, who had all the social advantages. He was a citizen of Rome. 
Uh, he was part of the elite. He was part of what we called in recent years the 1%. He had money. He had influence. He had power. And, and he could have used these titles to introduce himself to the church and said, because I'm a citizen, because I'm important, and because I'm educated, and because I have money, now listen to what I have to say. But when he opened his letter to the church in Rome, in Romans 1.1, he said this, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news. He didn't say, I'm the great bishop. I am the great reverend over the diocese of Nashville. Honor me. No, he said, I'm a slave. The pastor I grew up under, I sat under his ministry for 20 years. Until I was 20 years old, Don George, he, he told, told us one time, he said, don't refer to yourself as reverend. You know, that's, that's a custom, but I, I don't refer to myself because there's only one to be revered. And it's not a man. It's Jesus Christ. He's the only one we revere. He is the only one who's reverend. He's the only one who's holy. He's the only one who's set apart. And so it is that we ought to have that same spirit Jesus had. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Paul said, I'm a slave. I'm here to lay down my life. Lay down my life for the gospel. Lay my life down for the people. The teaching of Jesus started and it was duplicated. And it, it has been reproduced in his followers since then. Let's talk about his lifestyle. Jesus had a humble lifestyle. If you think about Jesus and his occupation, Jesus was one who took orders. People would turn in orders for what they wanted built. Jesus worked with his hands. He took wood as a carpenter and he obeyed the orders of his customers. And he made tables and he made furniture. And he built homes. And Jesus understands what many of us have experienced. When we've been demeaned because of our occupation, or we have been treated as less than human, we've been bossed around, um, we, we haven't been treated with the dignity that God wants us, that God's made us in. And he understands that because God himself, when he chose to come to this world, um, had a very common job. He, he had something, he, he was involved in, what we call manual labor for some of us. So his occupation wasn't one where he was served. He wasn't born into a family of advantage. He, he was born to an unwed teenage mother. And there, he chose to have a humble lifestyle. He chose to live a common life. He chose to live anonymously for most of his life, not known until age 30 when he revealed himself at the wedding of Cana. He did this out of his choice. And his last, one of his last acts before he died on the cross was to wash the feet of those, he follow, of those who followed him. There was no precedent for this. Zeus never washed the feet of his followers. There was nothing in any Roman God or Greek God that showed their God having a common job and serving his or her followers. Only Jesus. Jesus changed everything. And Jesus took a task that was common but important. The task of washing feet. This was something that was an act of hospitality. To wash the feet. Make sure people who visited your home had their feet washed. It was an act of hygiene. And it was an act of worship because people were not qualified to worship God. 
If they had dirty feet, they couldn't go into the temple. So it was a big, important part of life. But here is the catch. Only slaves would wash feet. Only slaves would wash the feet of the people. Not the master, not the owner of the home, certainly not the rabbi, the teacher, not the leader of this new religion or this new sect of Judaism. But Jesus did that. Look at these masterful words in John chapter 13. I love this scripture. Verse 3 says, Jesus knew the Father had given him everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. That sets the scene, right? Now look at verse 4. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. This was very intentional of Jesus because this robe, kind of like an overcoat to us, Jesus intentionally took it off. And he took it off to identify himself as a slave. Only slaves did that. And he wrapped his towel around his other garments. And that physical sign was very intentional from Jesus. Jesus was physically showing them, I am going to be a slave to you. Matthew and Peter and James and John and Alphaeus and all all the different apostles. He's saying, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be a slave to you. What an example to us. What an example to us of what Jesus did. So with his very clothes, he took a position of slave. Not just his job, but his very garments. He physically identified himself as a slave. So here it was that Jesus, Jesus impacted the world. Not just through what he said, but who he was. He impacted the world by the way he lived his life. His lifestyle. His lifestyle identified himself as God who serves. And the world has never been the same since. We've never looked at a leader the same since. Because Jesus changed everything. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. Is a humble death. Jesus had the most humble of death. Jesus died stripped of his robe. He died as a convicted criminal. And so that... That stain would always be with him. Criminal would always be attached to his name. He was given the mocking title of, quote, king of the Jews. He he wore the outfit of a slave. I already shared that with you. He took the position of a slave. He did the work of a slave. And he suffered the death of a slave. And here's what's remarkable about this. Jesus chose this. He wasn't responding to circumstances. He wasn't just making the best out of the bad situation. He laid down his life. He intentionally, he intentionally became a carpenter to that common family. He intentionally taught God's word a different way. He intentionally took off his outer robe and took a towel and took the water and washed the feet of his disciples. And he intentionally laid down his life to be crucified. In the ancient world, there were three common ways to be be executed. 
One was decapitation. Another was being burned alive. Neither one of those sound very pleasant to me. But the worst of them all was crucifixion. That was the worst way to be executed. It was the most humiliating way to be executed because it was the longest way. And there was so much mocking and you were publicly exposed. And this was the way our Lord and Savior died. For his followers who had seen blind eyes open and had seen the lame walk again and had heard this teaching from God that was so different. This must have been so confusing at first. How in the world could the greatest man we know die such a humiliating death? How is this even possible? And so there were two options. The first option would be Jesus was a fraud all along. He really wasn't that great. Because he wasn't that great, he was crucified. Jesus really wasn't as great as we thought, and that's demonstrated in the way that he died. Or the second option. second option is this. Because Jesus is supreme, and Jesus is the greatest, and because Jesus has authority, and because Jesus lived a lifestyle of humility, and because Jesus had God's authority as God himself, then that which was humiliating to the world has become our source of victory. The cross was no longer a place of humiliation. The cross was no longer an ending point. The cross was changed. Jesus changed the way that execution method was looked at. Therefore, today, we, we wear a cross as jewelry, and we, we, put, we use a cross as a logo here at the church, and, and the cross is a beautiful symbol because Jesus changed everything. That which was an instrument of humiliation became a sign of authority, and the authority was the humility. So it was that the followers of Jesus, the followers of Jesus had this incredible claim We serve a man who lived as a slave and died as a slave, and yet he is God. That's an outlandish claim. The the scripture says that's a foolish claim. In the eyes of the wisdom of the world, that's a foolish statement. This common man who lived as a slave and died as a slave, that common man is God. What changes that? The resurrection changed it. The resurrection changed everything. And so our God, instead of being humiliated, our God has been a demonstration of humility itself. And now he calls us as believers to imitate him. Here's the last scripture. Well, second to last scripture I want to share with you. That of Philippians chapter four, chapter two, excuse me. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. There's the word, but in humility. And humiliation, this word has shifted now. Instead of this being an ugly, derogatory, negative word, now this is, this is a, a value we're to aspire to. This is something we're supposed to emulate. This is something we're supposed to value. In humiliation, consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Now look at this, seven. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of man. And when he had come as a man in his external form, here's the word again in verse eight. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even the death of a cross. Because of Jesus, that negative word humility has now become the positive word that we aspire to. It doesn't mean that Christians alone are humble people. Sure, there's humble people in other societies and other culture, but the value in Western culture is directly related to this one man named Jesus. He turned the world upside down. And he has called us to be imitators of him. And we are to be called to be people of humility because he is a God of humility. As our musicians make our way up here, I want to share one last scripture as we begin this holy week. One of the stories that are very much in our mind today is that Jesus didn't enter Jerusalem and start this holy week in a white stallion, which was the picture of authority. But he entered in a very common animal with with a very common animal to confirm what prophecy had said. And so let's read our last scripture in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter twenty one. It says when They approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you should say that the Lord needs them. And immediately he will send them. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, See, your king is coming to you. Gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their robes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their robes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, saying, Who is this? And this is the question that our culture will be asking in the next seven days. This is the question I want you to ask too. Who is this? Who is this man? Can I tell you, there's a lot of answers. But he is a humble gentle Savior. He's a humble, gentle Savior. I want to invite our ushers.